Even the little cafe on the pier was closed, so he did the only thing he could. He switched off the engine, went along the deck and managed to loop a line to one of the pier rings, then went below. His shoulder was hurting now, hurting bad. He sat down in the kitchen area and scrambled out his special mobile and called in. The familiar voice answered, the President's favourite Secret Service man. Clancy Smith? It's Blake, Clancy. I just came into the pier on the Lively Jane and a guy was waiting with a Beretta. For God's sake, Blake, what happened? I've taken a bullet in the shoulder, but I put him over the rail. He was light-headed now. Hell, Clancy, there's nobody here. Closed down for the season. Just hang in there. I'll have the police there in no time. Hold on, Blake, hold on. I'll call you back. Blake reached into a cupboard, pulled the cork from a bottle of very old brandy, and swallowed deeply. Hold on, he muttered. That's what the man said. He took another gulp from the bottle, fainted, and slid to the floor. At the same time in London, it was an hour before midnight at the Garrick Club, where a dinner for twenty ministers from various Commonwealth countries was drawing to a close. General Charles Ferguson, for his sins, had been asked to deliver a speech on the economic consequences of terrorism in the modern age, and he couldn't wait to leave. The affair had been expected to finish at ten, but it was now eleven, thanks to a certain amount of squabbling during the question-and-answer sessions, and naturally, and to his great annoyance, Ferguson had been involved. He'd had to call his driver on three separate occasions, until, at last, the whole sorry business came to an end. He made his escape as fast as possible, found a string of limousines waiting, and his not among them. His beloved Daimler had suffered damage and was being refurbished, and the cabinet officer provided an Amara and a driver named Poole, who now came forward anxiously. "'And what's this?' Ferguson demanded ominously. "'We kept getting moved on by security,' I'm two streets away, in Venable Row. He had a Cockney accent, but with a slight whine to it that Ferguson didn't like. Oh, for God's sake, man, just lead the way. I want to get home to bed. Poole scuttled away. Ferguson sighed. Poor sod. It wasn't his fault when you thought of it, but what a bloody evening. As Poole reached the end of the street, a limousine came round the corner and ran through a large puddle, splashing the driver severely. It kept on going, and he shouted after it, "'Holy mother of God! You soaked me, you bastards!' His voice was quite different, more Irish than anything else, and he turned to Ferguson and called hurriedly, "'As sorry, sir!' and disappeared round the corner. "'What in the hell is going on?' Ferguson asked softly, and turned into Venable Row. There was some construction going on there, a cleared area and a round fence with an opening for an entrance, along with a couple of diggers and a pickup truck. It was dark in there, just a little light in the glare of a street lamp. The silver Amara was parked some yards inside, and Poole was standing beside it. "'Here we are, sir.' Ferguson moved closer, and as he approached, Poole turned and started to run away, and the Amara blew up.
the explosion echoing between the buildings on either side and setting off their fire alarms. Ferguson was hurled backwards by the blast, lay there for a moment, then stood up, aware that he was in one piece, but that the Amara was burning furiously. The explosion had come from the boot, and Poole had been closer to the rear of the car. Ferguson lurched towards him, dropped to his knees and turned him over. There was a great deal of blood, and his face was gashed. Poole's eyes opened. Ferguson said, Steady, old son. You'll be fine. Help coming. Poole's voice was very weak. I messed up. All my fault. Nonsense, Ferguson said. The only person to blame is the bastard who put that bomb in my car.